Welcome again, everyone, to another one of our uh, Sherma vlogs. This is a video blog, and today's topic is lessons that we're learning as the Johnny Depp against Amber Heard defamation case uh, goes on. This is in uh, Fairfax, Virginia, Fairfax County, Virginia, and the trial is now entering, I think it's second week or third week, maybe, but uh, Johnny Depp has stopped testifying, and now we're into some expert testimony, and then Amber Heard will, will be coming up to testify. That will be interesting. We've got with us uh, some esteemed guests. We've got Brian K. Fritz from KPM Law. Brian, welcome to uh, Surma. Thank you. Glad to be here. We've got Rachel Yorkelangelo from Magna Legal Services. Rachel is National Managing Director of Jury Consulting for Magna and a frequently sought-after guest on these kind of topics. So, Rachel, thanks so much for joining us. Thanks for having me. Let's dive right into it. So, of course, most of our viewers and listeners are now aware of this very uh, high-profile celebrity lawsuit. Johnny Depp is, uh, has been testifying for several days. Again, he rested. And he is suing his ex-wife, ex-girlfriend, Amber Heard. His allegation is that she committed uh, defamation when she authored an op-ed piece in the Washington uh, Post in 2018, which she referred to herself as a public figure representing domestic abuse, Johnny Depp is seeking monetary ja damages because he's alleging that as a result of that op-ed piece, he's been blackballed by Hollywood. He hasn't been able to get a job because he has been considered uh, a wife abuser, um, among other things. So, Brian, again, this is in your neck of the woods. You're located in Virginia. That's where your law firm is. That's where you practice. And this is in Fairfax County. Now, tell us, number one, why the plaintiff chose that venue and number two what that jury pool is like well one of the reasons he may have chosen fairfax county virginia um, if he could get jurisdiction in there is i think in part because of some of the unique nuances of virginia practice um, unlike a lot of states summary judgment isn't really a, an achievable goal for a defendant in a virginia state court uh, virginia practice uh, Supreme Court rulings are repeatedly hitting judges that, you know, juries resolve cases, judges do not. And the rules are set up to let cases get to a jury rather than a, um, a dispositive motion dismissing the case. Um, what kind of jurors are we looking at here in this in this part of uh, your state? You know, the, Virginia, the, as we know, could be could range from, you know, very liberal people towards the north to a whole different culture, a whole different, almost a different state when you travel farther down south. Well, actually, those in Virginia will tell you that there are actually 51 states because Northern Virginia is considered separate and distinct right. from the rest of the state. Um, Fairfax County is very unique. Um, that whole little micro area of Northern Virginia is incredibly wealthy, always on the list of the highest incomes per capita across the country. Um, and what I found, and I've probably had about 25 jury trials in Fairfax County, the juries are incredibly educated, well off. They're typically um, you know, masters or, or some kind of advanced um, degree. They are retired military, retired government, very well-spoken, very linear thinking, non-emotional people. Um, and you can always, you know, hit to the science over emotion type of argument and, and do better with, with the, those types of juries. 
So that's interesting because uh, Brian and Rachel, we both know, having watched some of this trial, and I, I'll have to say, I'm glued to it. I at late at night, I'm doing some work, and I've got the uh, the YouTube feed on. And I'm watching every nuance of it. It's fascinating, but it's interesting that Brian says, Rachel, that these juries tend to not be swayed by emotion because that's all we're seeing, seemingly in Johnny Depp's at least portion. Lots of emotion. He's really playing to the jury. I think, from in my opinion. Also, having litigated many cases, not in uh, in that kind of a many you know juries over the years, he is trying to basically appeal to the emotions of the jury by talking about his past, that he was abused, that he's been taking drugs, that he takes drugs to numb his pain. But let's talk first, having in your situation been involved in many high profile cases and commenting on many high profile celebrity jury trials. What do you think the jury sees when they look at two celebrities? Uh, like Amber Heard and like Johnny Depp, especially he's a, you know, a lister has been for years. What do you think they see when they see them in that witness box testifying? And how much do you think their celebrity status affects the jury? I definitely think the celebrity status has an impact. I think Brian's comment is um, spot on in terms of the perhaps tempered emotion of a Fairfax County jury compared to perhaps a, a jury in Los Angeles. Um, I think this jury is going to be educated and savvy enough to recognize that both of these litigants are actors and that a bit of what's happening in the courtroom is, um, you know, a performance in a way. I do think that Johnny Depp's strategy has been to engender the jury's sympathy, sort of explaining to them why he's, for example, been an alcoholic, a heavy drug user. Um, and why he has found himself now in this situation to be, as he's portrayed himself in this trial, a victim of domestic violence, how he's ended up there based on his history, flipping the, the traditional gender roles, of course. Yeah, it's really interesting. It's funny that you say that because today, actually, Howard Stern, I'm a big Howard Stern guy, and he was actually taking Johnny Depp to task for overacting. He called it, he, he, he interpreted uh, and, you know, Howard Stern is a noted uh, jury expert. We all know that uh, he interpreted Johnny Depp's performance to be, you know, a terrible example of overacting and really playing to the jury. On the other hand, if you're watching some of the uh, people in the courtroom watching observers, they seem to be sympathetic with Johnny Depp and they seem to be they seem to have been receptive to his attempts to connect with them. Right. Johnny Depp's been making a lot of jokes. He's been smirking a lot. He's been you know, engaging in some back and forth with Amber Heard's attorney. So how do you think that plays with the jury? Because we're really talking about two different audiences here, right? We're talking about the audience in the courtroom, which is really the most important one. But Johnny Depp also seems to be playing to the audience who are observing and then maybe the audience at large, social media, which is very important because I think one of the goals that Johnny Depp was trying to accomplish in this lawsuit is to rehabilitate himself in front of the world. Right. I think Johnny Depp and his team are fully aware that um, many people around the world are watching this trial. You know, you included, Rich. They know that people are going to be interested. And beyond this particular jury, I do think that they are uh, courting public opinion, meaning they are trying to, through this trial, rehabilitate Johnny Depp's image in a way. Um, I do think that the gallery, if you will, the public in the courtroom, and social media, the public at large, is going to be different than this jury. It's my experience that juries around the country, but probably in particular in Fairfax County, take their jobs very seriously and will be 
keenly focused on the legal issues and might bring up some of the sensational things that they're seeing and hearing in that jury room. But ultimately, jury's going to say, but what legal questions are we being asked to decide? And I think they will be focused on that. To your point, though, Rich, social media seems to be largely enamored with Johnny Depp in this trial, perhaps not surprisingly. Before he was, you know, quote, canceled when all of this went down with Amber Heard, Johnny Depp was a beloved public figure. Um, we, we all know the movies that he's been in, Edward Scissorhands, The Pirates of the Caribbean. So I think people are starting to, to remember why he was so loved. Um, and he's definitely seems to be winning over the public, at least on social media. Brian, Rachel mentions an interesting point about defense strategies. I want to get into that with you because, you know, you're an expert in in jury trials, you've had a lot of them. You've had a lot of them in Fairfax, as you mentioned. And one thing that struck me uh, with the attorney, the Amber Heard's attorney, when she was cross, when he was cross-examining Johnny Depp, and again, he did so over the course of many days, is he did not seem to take the bait, right? Johnny Depp was baiting him into, you know, some back and forth, and he was trying to trigger him, I think. Um, you and I both have had many experiences cross-examining adverse witnesses. Talk to us and our audience about how it's important to not engage in that way when you've got an adverse witness. And in this case, one, in my opinion, who's really hurting himself. I think his testimony went terribly for him. So how important is it to sort of keep an even head about you when you're cross-examining a witness and just go after them and not let yourself be dragged down into a sort of back and forth with an adverse witness? Well, so much depends upon the litigator's style. But to me, when I'm in the courtroom, I'm not trying to make it about myself. I'm trying to let the facts and the evidence lead the way and let those um, be the argument and let it speak for itself. It's easy to sell a case when the facts sell it for you. It's much harder when it's about you as an attorney. Now, one of the things I would like to point out when we are talking about social media, as a litigator and I'm defending this case, one of the things that would scare me the most is you know, the jury is going to be instructed, you're not to look at social media. And you're to stay off of your phones, and they probably will during the day. But when those breaks happen and when they go home, it's hard to imagine. You're really naive if you think those jurors aren't opening up Twitter or whatever social media platform they prefer and kind of getting a, a thumbnail sketch of what the, the main population is thinking. I mean, they're only human. Yeah, it's really interesting. Rachel, how do you deal with that? You deal with, again, a lot of high-profile cases. And how do you counsel your clients, your attorneys, and, and others to deal with social media. Uh, like Brian said, we know that they are looking at, at it despite the judge's admonition and instructions not to. Yeah, I, I think even the most conscientious juror almost can't help but be exposed to media about a high-profile case like this. So even if they're not seeking it out, if you open Facebook, Twitter, whatever it is, you're going to see someone posting about the trial. So in order to deal with that, um, as an attorney, if you believe that, in fact, the law is on your side and that on the merits you should win the case, regardless of public opinion, the strategy is to focus that jury on their duty, that they were sworn under oath, that they're to set outside influences, factors, sympathy aside, and to judge the case case solely on the evidence and the testimony, testimony that they're seeing in that courtroom. Um, I think a conscientious jury like one in Fairfax is going to take that to heart. And even if they have seen social media, which they likely have, will encourage each other to set that aside to the extent they can. That said, we know that 
those even quick sneak peeks of what other people are saying about the case will have at least a subconscious influence on the jurors. Now, Brian, you've tried a lot of cases. You've used mock trials before. You've used jury consultants. What kind of juror are you looking for? Let's say you were the one representing Johnny Depp and you were prosecuting this case against Amber Heard. What kind of jurors would you look for? And Rachel, let's go go to you afterwards and talk to us about if you were on the uh, defense team and you were defending Amber Heard, what kind of jurors would you be looking for? And again, not just given the celebrity status, but given the issues, right? We're talking about an, uh, an allegation of defamation resulting from abuse. And Johnny Depp has now taken the position that he was abused. He was actually the victim. So, you know, that's a kind of interesting, there's interesting issues involved there. And maybe at first glance, the people that you think would be sympathetic to your case might not be. So let's just jump into that really quick. Brian, who, if you were Johnny Depp's lawyer and you were going after Amber Heard here for defamation, who do you want on a jury? All right. Well, I'll tell you the first thing I'm going to avoid if I'm Johnny Depp's attorneys, that jury pool is typically stacked with retired military and, and educated men. I feel like the gender role of an abused man may not play well mm. with a military man. I think I'm going to lean more towards school teachers, uh, younger um, adults who are more acceptance of, of diverse gender roles and classifications are willing to accept those things. I want to stay away from someone who's going to expect a man to act away, you know, in the traditional 1950 sense of the word. Um, the sympath if they're going for sympathies, that's where I'm looking towards. Interesting. Rachel, now, if you're on Amber Heard's team and your position is that you didn't defame anyone because you were telling the truth in that you were the victim of years and years of emotional, physical abuse by Johnny Depp, who would you want on that jury? Who would you, who would you not want? Yeah, I think if you're the plaintiff, you're going to be looking for more politically liberal, progressive, um, especially socially progressive jurors who have latched on to, for example, the Me Too mo movement, um, anyone who has potentially been victimized in their own life. And I don't necessarily mean domestic violence, but any type of victimization, someone with that sort of attitude, um, someone with what we call an external locus of control, meaning people who believe things happen to them and that bad things can happen to good people rather than, than you um, are controlling your own destiny. Um, often you're going to be looking for someone who may feel sort of downtrodden or oppressed in their own life. And that type of juror may um, identify with the themes that Amber Heard's team is, is putting out there, that she's been the victim of a much more powerful, wealthy man, and that this has sort of been the system in our society for a long time. So in other words, you're, if you're Amber Heard's team, you're going to want to appeal to a juror who feels that this is about more than just Amber Heard and Johnny Depp. This is about society in general um, and, and sort of righting wrongs that have perhaps been happening to women for decades because those types of jurors might be willing to look past some of the legal weaknesses in Ms. Heard's case and say, we'd like to make a statement and perhaps send a message to society, to Hollywood at large with our verdict. What about the obvious question? Do you ask uh, in voir dire whether they have seen Pirates of the Caribbean, whether they're fans of Pirates of the Caribbean, whether they're fans of Aquaman, right, which Amber Heard was the female lead in? How, how do you deal with their answers to that? Rachel, what do you think? And Brian will jump in. 
Yeah, Brian, I see, I see you wanting to jump in. I think we're on the same page. We were both nodding during during Rich's question. Absolutely. Um, people who are, are big fans of either actor are going to have preconceived notions about them that are, are global perceptions. So if you think Johnny Depp is a great actor, you loved him in Pirates of the Caribbean, it's harder for that juror to see him as the villain in this trial and and vice versa so and i what's really yeah and what's really important rachel and brian what's really important is not so much that they like or dislike the movie but it's what they say right that that's really where a good litigator picks up on 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 the tendencies is because you could love you could you could love um donnie brasco right but not be someone who finds what johnny depp did to be you know persuasive or not so i think it's really interesting to listen and that's I'm sure you would agree that our listeners, one takeaway always with Vardir is, you know, not just the answers, but how they're, how the juries, how the potential jurors answer them and what they say beyond what the question is. Well, well what I would say is that in Virginia, um, the voir dire is, in my experience, the most critical part of the trial. Um, in federal courts and in Maryland and our surrounding states, the, ju- the judges are the ones who ask the questions. You write a submission of so many questions. In Virginia, you don't have to do that. In the state court, you get to stand up there and make up whatever questions you want and ask them. And then you get to have that direct dialogue with each juror in front of all the others. And my goal as a litigator in those types of cases is I'm asking questions that are going to open the door to the arguments I plan on presenting at trial. And I can then hopefully prompt someone to raise their hand and then go through a series of follow-up questions to educate the entire panel as to the point of view we want to want to get across. Yeah. And great. so I, I absolutely go right at the heart of those things at Vaudier. Yeah. I think if you don't ask those questions, you're sort of not touching the elephant in the room if you don't go into the movies. All right, really quickly, we're running out of time, but I want to ask a couple of quick questions. So what do you think of the tactic that the uh, Amber Heard's lawyer has used in reading these texts, many of which are incredibly detailed and really contain some really explosive language um, what he's doing, I mean, all day, the last day, you hardly heard from Johnny Depp, the attorney was reading the text, and he would say to Johnny Depp, did I read that correctly, as if he wasn't reading it correctly. So basically, he was testifying, just using those texts as demonstrative evidence. What do you think of that tactic, Brian? I got to tell you, if it's going on too long, I would probably shy away from it. I feel like after a while, it just gets lost, and then you lose the jury, and you get, and just becomes boring <laughs> i think that's a really good point yeah i think rachel it, it was coming to the point where like if i'm on the jury like we get it right? right uh he didn't like her they didn't get along they fought a lot what relevance is that uh, you know are those texts i think the key question and the uh, the attorney objected a lot of relevance but at some point i think brian's right you get to the point where you're going to lose the jury just by boring the hell out of them right they feel exactly i've got it let's move on why is this relevant and i think that there's a lot of that going on on both sides here these are educated worldly jurors who are going to see through some of these tactics that the lawyers on both sides are using and are likely thinking to themselves, this trial is being dragged on longer than it needs to be. Let's get to the point. Again, what are the legal issues that we're deciding? We're deciding whether Amber Heard defamed Johnny Depp in this Washington Post op-ed. Um, do we really need to see all of this to make that decision? Maybe a little sampling of it but uh i do think that it's it's a bit of a pylon at this point as both sides are essentially trying to smear the other uh in the courtroom i think people 
Go ahead, Ryan. You could have just put in your top five texts and you have a chance to admit exhibits prior to litigation. And then just say, these are all the texts that you've written, aren't they? Then you admit them into exhibits, let them read through them. Right. I mean, I think you've touched on a key point that litigators, even experienced ones, make a mistake with all the time. They try to overwhelm the jury with evidence. And in doing so, they lose the fact that jurors are people. They're in that box all day for hours and hours. They want they want to get on with their lives. And like, as you said, Rachel, they're smart people. We get it. Like at some point, you know, they're just going to say, we get it. Move the hell on. Yes. In the spirit of moving the hell on, I want to ask you one last question because um, it's so interesting. There's so many conspiracy theories online. I mean, any trial like this engenders, you know, millions and millions of views. And of course, with Twitter and, and so forth, people are going crazy with every kind of theory under the book or, or in the book. And one thing that's interesting is people's take on how the litigants are dressing and how their hair is, right? There's a whole strand of, uh, of people who are arguing that Amber Heard is playing more mind games with Johnny Depp because she is copying the way he dresses. Right. He shows up in a black vest one day, she shows up in a black vest the next day, he shows up with his hair in a bun, or she does that, he does the same thing. Mm-hmm. But it actually underlines a pretty important point, which is perception matters. And no matter how much we attorneys like to think that we're so brilliant and our legal arguments are, are, are persuading the jury, at the end of the day, Rachel and Brian, you'll get the last word, jurors are people. And they pick up on very subtle things. And the way Amber Heard and Johnny Depp are maybe communicating with their eyes, there's a whole you know, discussion about that. The way they dress, the way the attorneys dress, the way they approach the bench, the way their hairs are, good or bad, all those things do influence how juries act. They absolutely do. Jurors are watching every little thing, every interaction in the courtroom, and they, they are interpreting them correctly or not. Um, I've seen the theories online about the attire. I think it's interesting if, if this is strategic on Amber Heard's part, because in my mind, copying how he's dressing seems a bit like an aggressive move, a power move. Um, and I think that that he's painting her in that picture. She was the aggressor in the relationship. So that's a questionable strategy if it is intentional. Um, but um, yeah, juries are, are looking at the interactions. I, I wouldn't be surprised if at the end of the day, this jury says, a pox on both your houses. I see you two interacting. You're still goading each other even throughout this trial. It's time to move on with your lives and um, maybe call it a wash. Yeah, especially, Brian, when they're showing up to court in the most you know, Hollywood-looking outfits of all time, right? Johnny Depp's wearing sunglasses. He's got his hair in the bun. He's got the little, you know, pencil-thin mustache. I mean, it's not exactly something that most military people in Northern Virginia are going to relate to. There's really probably no more conservative area in the country as far as clothing and behavior than, than that D.C. area where it's, everything's buttoned down and, and three-piece suits still, right? Um, but the thing is, is jurors see everything. That collection of, of seven people or whatever there's going to be in that jury panel with alternates, much more, they're catching every single action between them. And when the jury trial goes on that long, Every minute you're in front of the jury, you're risking another minute of upsetting them or very, very few times are you going to be in front of a a jury that long and not have done something that kind of ruffles their feathers. Mm -hmm. 
I think it would be great uh, if uh, Johnny Depp shows up for the closing argument dressed as Captain Jack Sparrow, um, you know, just cementing in the jury. And then maybe Amber Heard could come as the, her character in Aquaman. Um, so that would be a, that would be a fitting ending. Rachel Yorkelangelo from Magna Legal Services, Brian K. Fritz from KPM Law. Thank you both so much for joining a really interesting discussion uh, on our Surma blog, and we'll see you next time. Enjoyed it. Thank My you. pleasure. Thanks, Rich. Yeah, yeah, yeah.